You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. We are continuing in a series called Lord, Teach Us to Pray. And so if you've got a Bible, follow along with me. We're going to be in Matthew 6. Seven. And we're going to read this whole thing, and we're going to focus just on part of it. So Matthew 6, starting at verse 7. Each week we've been talking about that prayer that we just prayed, because it's important. When you are praying, do not keep up empty phrases, as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Would you all pray with me just real quickly? Uh, Lord, I know. I know that when it comes to talking about evil and temptation, there's all kinds of weird stuff that happen in our hearts and our minds. Uh, we start to feel awkward and uncomfortable. We sometimes feel ashamed and embarrassed. We remember terrible things from the past that happened to us or that we've done. It's my prayer, Lord, that this morning that we would hear your voice and that you would lead us, you would guide us, that you would keep us safe. Bring us into a good future. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us and deliver us. Guide us and protect us. Oh God, keep us safe. It's a really good way to pray. Which is not surprising because Jesus is the one teaching us how to do it. In a world full of anxiety and pain and fear and uncertainty and doubt and loneliness and longing and evil, Jesus teaches us to pray. He teaches us to call out the God of the universe when you're afraid and you're in trouble. It's simple and straightforward, but it's a good thing to do. It seems obvious, actually, the more that I talk about it. But it's a good thing to do. It's, it's something that Jesus leads us into. In part because he knows the character of the Father to whom we've been praying this whole time, this whole series that we've been talking about. But another reason that Jesus bothers to talk about this is he's acutely aware of something that you and I tend to forget. Which is that we're in a war. You and I are in a war right now. It's just not obvious. We're caught up in a titanic struggle, a cosmic struggle between good and evil forces beyond our comprehension, our control, our imagination. And you and I, the Bible tells us, are warriors in this fight. And that somehow the day-to-day activities we engage in serve or work against the kingdom that we've been praying for. In strange and mysterious ways that we are conquerors and also the ground on which the battle is being fought, which sounds very uncomfortable, 
and it is. And there's really no way out of that, except to go through it. That's what the Bible says, that you and I are either hostages of evil or people who've been given a rescue mission because we've actually been rescued in the first place and we know what it's like. We know what that captivity feels like. And so we've been sent into the world as people rescuing those who are captives of evil. And Jesus teaches us that one of the key elements of that rescue mission is prayer. One of the ways that it actually happens is that we would pray, lead us, O Lord, guide us, keep us safe. Because we have an enemy. Church is not a cruise ship. I've said this before to some of us. The church is not a cruise ship. It's an aircraft carrier, or in our case, more like a destroyer. It's a battleship, if you'll forgive the military metaphor. The church is not a cruise ship. A lot of people think that it is. And on a cruise ship, there's staff, and there are passengers. And it's the staff's job to make sure everything works out great. That the boat is in good water, that everybody's comfortable, that your needs are met, that anything you could possibly want, and then some is provided. And also there's some nice activities that are kind of extracurricular if you want to go, like a conga line or a comedian. That's right. And the passengers get to do whatever they want. That's the whole point of going on a cruise ship, to chill, to rest, to recharge, to relax. It would be strange if the staff on a cruise ship expected us to be a part of everything they did. It would be crazy if the cruise ship sailed into waters where bullets were flying overhead. It would be extraordinarily inappropriate for the cruise ship to dock at a port where people were crying out for salvation, where there were refugees and hostages, and the staff returned to everybody on the boat and said, let's go, guys. We've got lots of room on the boat. Let's go get these people. Let's bring, we've got an all-you-can-eat buffet. These people need it. Let's go. You can imagine the Yelp reviews on Carnival and Princess. But now work out really well. The truth is not a cruise ship. It's a battleship. On a battleship, there are no passengers. No one is a passenger on a battleship. Now, everyone is crew, and everyone is united by a common mission, a common purpose. And everyone knows this the instant they step on a battleship. It's in the air. Now, there are some people who give orders, and there are some people who direct the ship, and there are certainly some people who are directly involved in the fighting, and others who seem less directly involved, like doctors and mechanics and cooks. But those people are essential to the operation of the mission. Not because their job is important in and of itself, but because it serves the mission. There's a really important reorientation there. The difference between a doctor on a battleship and a normal doctor, the doctor on the battleship has a mission. is committed to the people around them. And it would be strange if the people on the battleship didn't feel like they had to participate in everything the battleship did. It would be crazy. If the battleship sailed for some simple island, right, away from dangerous waters, laid anchor, made everybody daiquiris, that would be crazy. <laughs> it would be bizarre and dangerous if there was someone on the battleship who thought of themselves as a passenger, who sat on a deck chair while everybody else is doing things and waited for drinks to come, and was really confused why people kept talking <laughs> about the enemy and the fight. The church is not a cruise ship, it's a battleship. And I understand that in our time, there are pastors, and there are certainly churches who think that that's the job, that we, that we provide conga lines and 
magic shows. But actually, we have been invited into this amazing work called the kingdom of God, something that we've been praying about. And the instant you join up with that kingdom, you are in a battle with evil. You have an enemy, one bent on your destruction. Now, we talk about the enemy, and basically he has two strategies. So it's either intimidation or it's temptation. We're going to talk about temptation in a second. It's either uh, destruction or distraction. We'll talk about the distractions in a second. But I know that the instant we start talking about the enemy and the violence and the danger of realizing there is someone who is out to get you, that you will become afraid that there is someone out to get you, which is good, <laughs> because there is, but it's bad because we're not supposed to be afraid. This is a really important thing. Now, the way the Bible talks about it is very different from the way that pop culture talks about it. If you go to a horror movie, or if you start paying attention to the sorts of things you see on Netflix, right? There's good and there's evil, but they both seem pretty powerful. And like, actually, God doesn't seem quite as powerful as he used to in the vampire movies and things like that these days. Like, the priests usually get eaten first, right? It's, it's a pretty bad situation. So you start to think of it maybe as, as kind of a yin and a yang thing. That maybe good and evil are really in a struggle, and maybe there's really, like, doubt about who's going to win. There's this chess game that's going on between God and the devil, and I don't know. We know. We do. This is what the cross is all about. That evil has already been defeated. Already. The battle's over. He lost. He just hasn't been destroyed yet. So he's still around. Still doing damage. But he knows the time is short, so he's going to do as much damage as he possibly can before this Jesus that we believe in comes back and does away with evil. You have an enemy. And you should have a healthy awareness of that. Not fear, not worry that he's lurking around every corner, but a healthy awareness of the fact that someone would very much like to destroy you. Uh, the Bible tells us that he's like a roaring lion waiting for someone to devour. But we hear about this and we think, all right, well, I can believe in evil, I think. But evil is kind of everywhere, sort of vague and out there. In 2020, it's not hard to believe that there's evil in the world. We've seen a global pandemic. Not a ton of fun. We're still in it. We've seen third world countries that are unable to quarantine because they can't afford it. So they're choosing between starvation and death, really on either side. We watched George Floyd get murdered by the police in uniform in broad daylight with people watching in video cameras. And they were confident the whole time. We watched a nation go nuts over this and nothing happened. And most people pretty quickly forgot all the hashtags and the marches. I'm not sure which is more evil, the murder or the fact that it was trending for a while. And this is to say nothing of things like nuclear weapons. Or the fact that right now, if you pulled out your phone, you could probably find child pornography in about two minutes. Or the reality that people are in slavery all over the world. Or just little injustices that are out there, like people in traffic cutting them off because they want to get home so they don't care if they're risking your life. It's a 
crazy thing. The fact that Sean Connery died this year, it's outrageous. <laughs> James Bond, the world is an evil place. And we know these things, but the, the truth is evil um, as such doesn't exist. I know that sounds strange with what I'm saying, so listen carefully. Hatred as a thing does not exist. There are people I hate, and there are people you hate, and there are people who hate you. Hatred is personal. It's located somewhere. It happens from someone or a group of someone to do something. Injustice and oppression do not exist as abstract ideas. They are tangible realities when they come in a personal form. When a group of people oppresses others, when people experience injustice, evil is something that doesn't just exist out there that no one can take responsibility for. It's connected to people. It's something that is personal and something we should take personally as people who follow Jesus. Something that we recognize that we are against that we can never partner with. And the Bible will tell you that evil is more than the sum of its parts. That our evil is being bent in the direction of another being's evil. That he's trying to use our evil for other evil. And when Jesus teaches us to pray, deliver us from evil, literally in Greek it says, deliver us from the evil. And that leads a lot of scholars and a lot of pastors through the centuries to say, he's talking about something. He's talking about an enemy. And we should be on guard, not just because he's against us, but because actually we're against him. See, Jesus isn't teaching us to run away, to be afraid, to be cowards, but rather to stand up and to fight and to be brave. To be people who conquer rather than are being conquered. There's a Russian Orthodox priest named Alexander Schmemann who wrote a little book on the Lord's Prayer. It's good. And uh, he says, the awesome force of evil does not lie in evil as such, but in its destruction of our faith in goodness. Our conviction that good is stronger than evil. This is the meaning of temptation, and even the very attempt to by rational arguments, to legitimize it, if one can put it this way, is the very same temptation, an inner surrender before evil. The Christian attitude toward evil consists precisely in the understanding that evil has no explanation, no justification, that it is the root of rebellion against God, a rupture from full life, and that God does not give us explanations for evil, but the strength to resist it and the power to overcome it. The strength to resist it and the power to overcome God is relentlessly opposed to evil. It's not something we just accept in our world. And I know there are gray areas, and I know that we don't necessarily live in a black and a white and us and a that. And I know that that's absolutely the danger in our time. In fact, that's sort of the temptation to evil that we see all around us. The strange tribalism that seems to exist. Some of us, I think, have been shocked, rightly, to realize that in what we would call the Christian nation, where a lot of people have grown up around Christian ideas, both left and right. A lot of people have been baptized and have some kind of idea of what it is that we believe to see this weird rise in pagan and neo-pagan ideas, worship of power, strange foreign things that have nothing to do with the gospel. And this strange inability to call evil what it is. And in our time as people who follow Jesus, we have to be very, very careful that we don't say, well, that guy is usually someone I like, so I can't call that out. Well, that's something that I, I kind of belong to, so I can't acknowledge that maybe there's some flaws there. 
we are relentlessly opposed to evil as people who believe in Jesus. That's part of what it means to be delivered from it. And yet when we pray to deliver us from evil, one of the things that we know is that God's going to keep us out of evil situations. Uh, but actually, one of the things the Bible will regularly bear witness to is that God will put us in evil situations. In fact, he will put us between evil and the people to whom evil is about to come. That the more you follow Jesus, the more that God actually will use you as a warrior in this particular fight. And so this, this prayer isn't one where we can be in you know, smooth waters by some nice tropical island. But one in which we're actually asking that God would use us to deliver others from evil. Not just deliver me from my evil. We say this every time in the Lord's Prayer. It's no me or I. Deliver us from our evils. On a September morning, a Christian woman named Lisa Jefferson was working her usual job at the Verizon Airphone Call Center when a terrified operator handed her a headset and told her that she was speaking to a passenger on UA Flight 93. I'm Todd Beamer from Cranberry, New Jersey, voice in the other land said. Three people have hijacked the plane. Two have taken over the cockpit and are flying the plane. And as she was speaking, Lisa learned what was happening at the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. She began to pray, even as she listened to the frightened voice on the other end. If I don't get out of this, will you tell my wife and children that I love them? She assured him that she would. And then, Todd asked her to pray the Lord's Prayer. And they did. There's a transcript of this, line by line, phrase by phrase. And it got to the end, there's this long pause. And Todd, with conviction, suddenly said, a few of us are going to jump these guys. Now, that was the plane that went down in a cornfield in Pennsylvania, the one that didn't hit the Capitol. Now, the question is, does God deliver Todd from evil or not? Does the prayer work? The cynic and the atheist would tell you no. That Todd dies as a chump, believing in something that doesn't exist. But Lisa also prays with Todd that she would be delivered from evil. That she was. A plan doesn't hit the nation's capital. You and I were. We pray this prayer all the time. God actually defends us from evil even in ways that we don't notice. And weirdly, I think in that moment, God delivers this guy from the evil of sitting still and ending his life as a coward. In fact, what he knows is that we have this God who's with us, even in the midst of people, a God who goes to the cross for us, a God who has already defeated death, and a God who's waiting for him on the other side, a God who can lead him through the valley of the shadow of death, and a God with whom Todd stands right now. So you and I don't call that a waste, we call that a hero. We call that braver, we call that someone who helps deliver us from evil. We have an enemy, friends. That doesn't mean we run and hide. He's stronger than we are, but he's not stronger than the God we serve. The same power that's at work in us is the one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Deliver us from evil. Lead us, not into temptation as this is the other side. Not just direct attack, but actually distraction, temptation, self-inflicted harm, 
It's the interception in football, the unforced error in baseball, the known goal in soccer, shooting yourself in the foot. That's what temptation is. Lead us not into temptation. When we hear the phrase, lead us not, it leads some people to believe that God leads people into temptation if they don't ask. Uh, the Bible's pretty clear on this. God never leads anyone into temptation. So in the Lord's Prayer, this is an example of, uh, in rhetoric of something called litotes. That's where you say something positive, but you do it in a negative way. Like if you handed me a cheeseburger and I said, that's not bad. That's good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> Rocket science for those of us who use it on a regular basis. If, if you said, lead us into the opposite of temptation, it would sound really awkward. And if you said, lead us into a really good place, it wouldn't be clear that what I'm trying to avoid is temptation. So when Jesus says, lead us not into temptation, he's saying, this is a destination I don't want to go. I know you're going to lead me in good ways, but this, this is the prayer that we're praying. Lead us not into temptation. And the way we tend to use temptation in our culture is this sort of small, petty thing, right? Like, I was tempted not to get up this morning because I'm running for a marathon. I didn't want to work out, but I, you know, I overcame. All right, can I tempt you with a couple of cookies? Yeah, I was tempted uh, to call in sick, and I, I gave in, man. It was just it was too much fun to watch Netflix all day. Those may be legitimate temptations, and it's probably worth praying about them, but we're probably talking about something bigger than this. Considering that we've all been hostages of evil, that's the way the Bible looks at it, we've all been set free. Jesus is helping us to pray that we wouldn't wander back into captivity. We know that we've been set free from evil, and why would we then walk back into it? We pray, God, please keep me from destroying my marriage with my anger. God, please keep us safe. Keep us safe from saying the wrong thing in just the wrong moment. God, please keep us safe from trying to rush a relationship or rush a family or trying to rush something. God, please keep us safe from doing the right thing in the wrong way at the wrong time, or the wrong thing in the, the right way at the wrong time. Any combination, oh Lord, of, of the sort of thing that will ruin my life. We know that there are people who ruin their own lives. And if we're honest, most of us have actually done that at least once or twice. Many times. <laughs> it's one of the things that Jesus is slowly and steadily saving me from. Myself. Not just an external evil. It would be nice if I could blame it all on somebody else. Very much me. Lots of own goals. Lots of self-inflicted harm. Lots of unforced errors. Day in and day out, I become a little bit more like Jesus. Day in and day out, you become a little bit more like Jesus. This is actually part of the point of the prayer, that we become a little bit more like Jesus. Christianity is not about which holiday we celebrate in December. <laughs> It's significantly more than that. <laughs> that actually Jesus has rescued us from this deadly peril and that we continue to follow him into the kind of life that he leads us into. That we become more and more like him each and every day. And of course, sometimes the temptations that we're talking about are things that have genuinely imprisoned us over time. Pornography and alcoholism. The real things. Anger. That wasn't just a casual example. Procrastination and laziness. Envy and gossip. These are things that feel like they just own you at times. And the truth of the Bible is that they do own you. And that what you desperately need is someone to save you. Because your enemy is stronger 
than you, but he is not stronger than the God that we serve. He is absolutely not stronger than the God that we serve. And so when we pray to him, we're praying for freedom and we're praying for deliverance from things that would happily hold us hostage. That would happily distract us, actually, from the mission to which God has called us. We're praying against a kind of cruise ship mentality. Because let's be real, some of the best temptations aren't the really obviously wrong ones. They're the ones that sound good. You ever hear the phrase, the road to hell is paved with good, good intentions? Good intentions. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's a pretty straightforward idea that sometimes I try to go this way, and the more I go this way, the more I ended up over here. And I don't know how this happened, because I was definitely heading that way. The strange idea that we would be people who would say, you know what, I really, really want to follow Jesus, but first, these other things matter. Which is a great way of not following Jesus. You know, I really, I, I want to be the kind of person who lives their life as though other people are more important than my success. And to do that, I'm just going to really focus on my success. It's not a great way to pull it off. The Apostle Paul talks about this on a regular basis, the sort of tug and, and pull that we feel on a regular basis. There's somebody inside me, it feels like, who's against me, which doesn't make any sense. And this is a weird argument, I think, for Christianity. Everybody out there has always tried to become a better person. There are seasons, certainly, when you don't. But there's, there's that moment where you go, I want to be better than I am. I want to become this kind of, and I mean that with everything in me, I'm sincere. And then it's like there's another person inside me who's like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> there's only one me, there's only one will. Where's this other voice coming from? Who's this other person inside me that says, I don't really feel like it. I just want to go the other way from that. I want to, I want to hijack that and turn it into a world where the most important thing to me isn't family, but the trappings of family. I want to be like a dad, but I don't actually want to invest in being. How does that happen? There's this thing inside of us, this evil that we're praying to be delivered from. It's these old habits we have from when we were hostages. We kind of fell in love with the hostage takers. And we know actually that we're called out there to, to save other people, but it sounds kind of scary, it sounds kind of hard, but it would be really nice if now that we've found freedom, we can just keep it to ourselves. And Jesus teaches us to pray in a very different way than this. But our enemy is crafty and is good at using our own evil against us. As a scholar named Chris Green, he says, Satan wants us to take God's promises to mean what they do not, in fact, mean. He wants us to take promises, God's promises to mean what they do not, in fact, mean, so that we're confused about what we can and should expect from God. Perhaps that's where we too often find ourselves. Believing strongly, but in misunderstandings of God's word. We trust God as provider, but we rely on our own sense of need. We trust God as healer, but we assume we know what health is. We trust God as deliverer and protector. But we expect deliverance to come on our own terms and in our own time. In these and in countless other ways, we are so much of the time taxed by false expectations and bad desires, waiting on God to do what God is not going to do, at least not in the way that we expect him to What we're praying for is not that Jesus would take us out of these difficult situations, but that he'd lead us through them to the other side. That he'd keep us safe in the midst of them. That he would rescue us again and again and again. I think the reason we pray about temptation and evil right after we pray about forgiveness in the prayer is that Jesus knows us pretty well and knows that pretty quickly in the midst of praying, we're going to go, oh man, I suck at this. I'm really bad at this. And we're going to start beating up on ourselves 
and falling into this weird shame trap, which is ironically another tool that the enemy uses against us. He gets us coming and going all the time. And what the Lord actually wants for us is freedom. And so we pray that we have our debts forgiven. And then we pray that he would lead us into a different future. Forgiveness is about freedom from evil in the past. And this is about freedom from evil in the future. We're praying that God would lead us and guide us, that he would keep us safe into this good future. This is the most basic kind of prayer there is. God, help me. It is a great prayer. It is prayed by many an atheist in many a foxhole all over the world. It is, all the time. There are all sorts of people who go, I'm not sure if I believe in God or not, but if you get the bad situation, if you get into enough trouble, you'll go, I don't know if you're up there, but somebody, anybody, for real, I need, keep, help me. Jesus ends this prayer with maybe one of the most basic, one of the most obvious ways that we pray as human beings all the time. Lead us and guide us. Keep us safe. This seems bad, and I really don't want it to get worse. Save me, O oh Lord. See, the, the, the prayer does not end with this like strong conversation about the nature of evil and, and the danger of enemy. The cleverness of Jesus, he doesn't name the enemy. He just asks that we be led into this good future, that God would keep us safe. And what we're really praying is that, that God would be the kind of God that we hear about, that God would be this good Father who doesn't just meet our needs and, and doesn't just forgive our sins, but is actually with us and watching out for us. But he really does keep us safe. Said a story I heard from a pastor named Brian, and uh, it's about a Christian woman who couldn't sleep. In the middle of the night, she woke up and found herself afraid. Way past her bedtime. Her husband, Colonel Gracie, was crossing the Atlantic that night on his way home from England. And when she couldn't push the frightened thoughts away, she got out of bed and she began to pray. Right about at that same time, out on the ocean, the safest ship that had ever been built, the Titanic, had recently hit an iceberg and was beginning to sink. Panic had broken out as people realized there weren't enough lifeboats for everybody on board. Colonel Gracie had given up all hope of surviving himself, but was doing his best to get women and children into the few lifeboats that were there. Just wished he could send some kind of message to his wife. As the ship began to slip into the water, he said goodbye. Meanwhile, back in America, Miss Gracie was still praying. After two hours, she didn't have any peace. After two hours, she didn't have any peace. So she continued to pray until five in the morning. It was then that a certain peace possessed her, and she went to sleep. Out in the North Atlantic, Colonel Gracie was plunged into freezing water. And the giant whirlpool was created when the Titanic began to sink, started sucking downward into an icy abyss. He kicked and swam the best he could. And suddenly, somehow, broke through the surface and found himself right next to an overturned lifeboat. He grabbed several others and climbed aboard and waited until five in the morning when a ship came and rescued them. Now that's an amazing story about a God who delivers from you. Not just one guy, but others near him. Even in the midst of a dangerous and crazy situation, one, of course, in which the temptation in 
run amok. A ship that was built on pride, that boasted of being unsinkable, that didn't bother to bring lifeboats because it was just so sure that nothing could hurt it. In the midst of human hubris and pride, God saved some people. God delivered from people. And this is the prayer that we pray for tonight. As folks who go out into the world as, as these tiny, frail things, who know that we have an enemy who's bent on our destruction, and who want to lead people to Jesus, and who know actually that it's going to be really hard, really scary. There are folks out there who are hostages, and things that will hurt us, and things that we're actually used to you know, destroying our lives with. There's this prayer that Paul teaches at the end of Romans. It's something I'll leave you with. I don't know if it's a prayer, actually. Sort of his way of dealing with, with the pain that we're praying about. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will hardship or distress, persecution or famine, nakedness, peril, sword, In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything at all in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The reason Paul is so confident is that Jesus thought of 